Well, the pace of life in the uh, 21st century uh, is a topic that's concerned me for a long time. Um, I don't know about most of you, but when I was a kid, the days, the weeks, the months, the years, they just drug by. I, I mean, it just felt like everything went at a snail's pace. And, and today, my children recognize that the weeks, months, and years are actually going by pretty fast. And I don't know what your kids report to you, uh, but that's what I've heard from mine. And I think that when even kids recognize that life is going really fast, there is reason for concern about life's pace. Now, I'm not a sociologist, and I don't play one on TV, but there are a number of obvious contributors uh, to what's happening to us, uh, I think. First of all, I think technology is taking a significant toll uh, on our lives. Our devices consume more and more of our time, and they basically create a situation where we're never truly disconnected from anything. We're never disconnected from news. We're never disconnected from entertainment. We're never uh, disconnected from other people. Uh, and yet, weirdly, it creates this feeling of isolation as well. And yet, you're constantly connected. Uh, not many years ago, if you wanted to talk to someone, you had basically three choices. You could call them on the phone. Uh, you could uh, go over to their house. Uh, or you could just wait till you ran into them again. You know, at church or work or, you know, in the grocery store. And now we have messages bombarding us from all different directions. You know, our, our uh, cell phones, Facebook, Snapchat, text, email, and on and on it goes. And managing all those different uh, sources of uh, communication can really become overwhelming. You know, you think you have checked every possible way that someone could have gotten a message to you. And then you run into someone and they say, hey, you know, responded to my message. And then they named the one place that you failed to check to, to make sure that uh, you had gotten all your messages. And, and it just contributes to uh, a lot of uh, just feeling of kind of being over, uh, overwhelmed. Uh, any of you who watch The Office, which I can't in good conscience recommend to you, but any of you who watch that know that uh, one of the characters, Ryan, developed this awesome app called The Wolf. Uh, that would notify you on all your devices simultaneously. So, so it would ping you every time someone sent an email. It would also go to your text and your Facebook and everything else. I don't think that would help much, actually. I think that would just be worse. Um, I recently read an article by a writer named Andrew Sullivan, who's an atheist, and he lamented the toll that technology and constant interaction with the online world uh, had taken on his life. The article was titled, I Used to Be Human. And while I don't agree with a number of things that he uh, said in the article, I mean, he is an atheist and I believe in God, so we're going to have some different viewpoints, but he did a wonderful job uh, articulating the soul-crushing damage that our digital world can cause uh, in our lives. It just consumes time that we used to have for other, other reasons. Uh, technology has done some good things. Uh, it has provided many of us with increased freedom in our jobs. You know, some of us who used to be bound to a desk in a cubicle, now we can literally do our work from anywhere. But, oh wait, is that good? <laughs> is that good? In one sense, that feels a little bit freeing, but actually it's, it's actually more bondage because you can't ever get away from your job. I mean, you used to eventually 
be able to leave the desk in the cubicle. And then the stuff waited for you there until you came back the next day. And now it is constantly with you on your laptop, on your iPad, or on these amazing computers we carry in our pockets or purses, uh, the smartphone. Uh, technology, at one point in time, we were told would limit the amount of hours that we needed to work. How has that worked out for anybody? I hear from so many of you regarding the long hours that your employers require of you. This contributes to the, just the frantic pace of our lives. Uh, days that our society used to view as off-limits, honor as off-limits, it no longer does. Can any of you remember when Sundays just all the stores were closed? A few, few of you still around can remember that. Uh, and when that went by the wayside, at least we still had a few days of the year where we all agreed we're just not going to do anything that day. Thanksgiving was one of those, and now we see what's happened with Thanksgiving, and thankfully there seems like there's starting to be a little bit of pushback against that, which is uh, a good thing. But Thanksgiving, you know, stores are open now then. We don't even honor that day of the year as a, as a day just to disconnect and unwind and, and rest. And of course, you can shop 24 hours a day online now. Don't get what you want for Christmas. Just go into your bedroom while everybody else is eating dinner and uh, buy the stuff that nobody got you and just shop all the time. Shop all the time. Here's one some of you won't like, but uh, the demands that youth sports place on kids and families today uh, far surpasses anything that those of us at least over 40 experience, maybe over 35 uh, but, but at least if you're over 40, the demands of kids' sports is much different than it used to be. Uh, very time-consuming, contributes a lot to the pace of life that we're all living. You know, everything is organized now. Everything is organized. Uh, practices, games, fees. The fees. Oh, my goodness. And of course, we can't say no, because that would make us horrible parents. <laughs> Nobody plays sports in the backyard now. It's all got to be organized. And this contributes to our out-of-whack pace of life. There are just so many things that are eating up our time, uh, creating busyness, and just contributing to the frantic pace of life that we have. And the list could go on and on. Uh, there's just so much that consumes our time, so much that clutters our minds, and, and so much pressure is placed on us from so many different sources that if we aren't careful, we end up overwhelmed, we end up stressed out, we can even end up burned out. You know, we live in an age of unparalleled, uh, unparalleled comforts and conveniences, and yet so many people are so unhappy, so many people are so stressed out. And it's because we're overwhelmed, and this does emotional, relational, spiritual, and even physical damage to us. I'm completely convinced that most of us are overextended. We just have too much on our plate. We're borderline overwhelmed, if not completely overwhelmed. And I'm convinced that most of us are desperately in need of more rest. And so as we continue our series, How to Improve Your Life in 2017, the biblical counsel on that topic for today is that if you want to improve your life this year, you need to rest more. You need to rest more. 
In fact, God considered rest such an important thing that he made it one of the Ten Commandments. One of the big ten. I mean, inclusion in the Ten Commandments means that God considered rest a really big deal. There are ten things I want to tell you, people, and one of them is you need to rest. So it's a really important topic. And we, can, we find the command for rest in Exodus 20, verse 8, which says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, scripturally, there are a variety of reasons and purposes for the Sabbath, but central to the Sabbath is rest. It is a day of resting from labor. So one of the most important commandments that God gave us, take a day of the week to rest. And when Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, at least part of the meaning of that word holy is the idea of keeping it set apart. We're to make sure that we keep our rest set apart. We're to guard it. We are to intentionally honor it. We're not to neglect rest. We're not to de-emphasize rest. We are to remember to keep it set apart because it is so important to our well-being. And it's to be set apart to the Lord your God. Like everything in life, rest is supposed to be something we do as unto the Lord. Because like all aspects of our lives, God cares about our rest. It's not an area that he's unconcerned with. Just like he's Lord of our time, like he's Lord of our money, like he's Lord of our marriage, like he's Lord of our sexuality, he is also Lord of our rest. We're not to ignore rest as though God is unconcerned about it. We are to prioritize rest because God cares an awful lot about it. He cares so much about it that he commanded us to do it. And just like all of the commandments of God, he does not command rest to prove that he can boss us around. He commands rest because as the creator of life, as the creator of each one of us, as the one who knows how life works, as the one who knows how we're all wired, he knows what is best for us. And he knows what's going to help us get the most out of our experience of this precious thing Uh, called life, this precious gift of life. And so just like all of God's commandments, the command to rest is a gift to us. Yeah, it's a command, but it's also a gift. All of God's commands, if we understand them correctly, are gifts from God to us. When we tell our children don't you ever walk across the road without looking both ways. We've given them a command, but really we've given them a gift. When we tell our daughters, don't you ever let a young man define your worth. Or we tell our young men, don't you ever let a young lady define your worth. In a sense, we're giving them a command, but what we're really giving them is a gift. God's commands are gifts to us. And the command to keep the Sabbath, to set aside a time of rest, is a gift 
that God gives us. And Jesus said something very interesting about the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2. Your outline says 12. That's just a typo. It's Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, this was said in the context of the the Pharisees complaining about Jesus' disciples because they had picked heads of grain in order to eat on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees considered the fact that they had picked the grain uh, to, to eat, they considered that a violation of the prohibition against working on the Sabbath. And so Jesus had to, as he often had to, he had to explain some things to the Pharisees. And he let them know that man was not made for the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath was made for man. The idea here is that Sabbath is a command because it is beneficial to mankind. It serves man's well-being. And so that's why God instituted it. So while man is to keep and honor the Sabbath... We were not created for it, it was created for us. In other words, Jesus was saying that all of the rigidity that the Pharisees insisted on regarding the Sabbath was missing the point. The point was rest, not obsessing over what constituted work and what constituted rest. Jesus was more concerned that they keep the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. And in fact, throughout the New Testament, Jesus kind of uh, illuminated the Ten Commandments for us in a variety of ways like this, saying, no, it's not the letter of the law I'm concerned about, it's the spirit of the law that I'm concerned about. You see this in the commandment against adultery, uh, where Jesus said, you know, you guys think you're doing great because you're not having, you know, S-E-X with people. And, 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 And he said, but here's what I happen to know you're thinking about it all the time. And that's like, you know, adultery of the heart. And, and, and so it's not just keeping the letter of the law that I'm concerned about. It's the spirit of the law. Uh, I, you know, like your mind needs to be pure. And in a similar way with the Sabbath, you might keep the letter of the law by not plucking the grain on the Sabbath. But if you're hungry and you need food... It's not the letter of the law you need to be concerned about. It's the spirit of the law because the point of the Sabbath is not plucking grain or not plucking grain. The point of the Sabbath is your well-being. It's your well-being. That's what it's about. And it's a good thing that Jesus said this because even today people are tempted to go the route of the Pharisees and, and really get bogged down in what the letter of the commandment about the Sabbath means. There are all kinds of views present even in the church today. People have a lot of different views about the Sabbath and how we ought to understand it. And I'll just mention a few, you know. There aren't many anymore, but there are still a few Christians around that think we ought to be keeping the Sabbath on Saturday. Others, which means virtually all others, say, uh, no, we don't need to keep the Sabbath on Saturday, but we, we need to honor the Sunday as the Sabbath. That's the day Jesus rose. That's the day that the early church started meeting. And, and so that's what we need to do. Uh, Both of those groups define the Sabbath very much uh, in connection with the day that the church gathers to worship. Uh, Other viewpoints in the church include those that say, you know, uh, the Sabbath has really been fulfilled and, and in a sense done away with because Christ fulfilled it and our entire lives are lived in Sabbath rest. 
As we rest in Jesus, our, our entire lives are, are Sabbath rest. Others say that the proper understanding of the Sabbath is that every day is to be regarded as the Sabbath. Every day is set aside as holy to the Lord. And of course, you know, that's true, whatever the rest of your views are. But every day is to be set aside and holy to the Lord. And so it's less important if you identify one day as the Sabbath or not. Some emphasize worship, the worship aspect of Sabbath more than rest. Some emphasize the rest aspect more than worship. And on and on the debates go. And these debates have been going on for a long time. They were going on at the time of Jesus. They were going on in the early church. And they continue today. My view is that the right approach is that we honor each other's various convictions about the Sabbath while all holding our interpretations loosely and focus on keeping the spirit of the Sabbath rather than the letter of the Sabbath. And here's what Paul wrote to people concerned about such things in Romans 14.5. One person esteems one day as better than another while other esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And then he goes on from there and he tells the Romans to stop judging each other over these kinds of things. Some have one view. Others have another view. And the Sabbath was in view with what he was saying there. Each should be fully persuaded before the Lord without judging those who view it differently. And so here at the Vineyard, we appreciate Paul's advice. And we are not going to get bogged down in needless debates about such things. For me, it's my view. I tend toward the view that for Christians, every day is holy and set apart for the Lord. But because the Sabbath was given us as a gift for our well-being, we should honor the spirit of the Sabbath's commands without getting caught up in trying to serve the letter of the commands. So while we're not going to look at all the biblical passage on the Sabbath, I want to share four aspects of the Sabbath from the Bible and from Christians' understanding of the Sabbath throughout church history that I believe are the central things that we need to incorporate into our lives in order to honor this gift called Sabbath. And here's the first one, rest. We need to set aside time for rest because God commended it to us. He commanded it of us. It's a gift. God commanded us to rest because he knows we need it for our emotional, spiritual, physical, and relational health. We are to view rest as a holy thing, a thing set apart, something we guard because we understand it is part of obedience to Christ. It's part of honoring Christ in every area of our lives. For the purposes of today's message and uh, for the purposes of our well-being, this is the aspect of Sabbath that I have most in view today. We need rest. We need rest. I think we can prioritize it in the way it should be prioritized as we better understand why God made it a part of the Ten Commandments and because we're more concerned with the spirit of the Sabbath than we are with the letter of the Sabbath. Because of that, we have liberty to incorporate Sabbath into our lives in a variety of ways. We have the liberty to, to use this in the way that God individually directs us to do. Some of you, Sundays is the right day for you to observe a Sabbath. 
uh, you can come and worship, and when you leave here, you don't have any pressing responsibilities, and so this is a great day. For others, you may leave here and go to work, so it doesn't work out so well, at least for the rest part of Sabbath, and so maybe Saturday works for you. Some of you, you might work the whole weekend, and so perhaps you have a day off during the week that is better for you to, to observe the Sabbath. Uh, we'll have differences in exactly how we use our Sabbath day once we set one aside. For some of you, you will uh, be uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit, uh, encouraged by the Holy Spirit that you should do no work at all on the Sabbath. Some of you, God may impress, don't do any work uh, related to the way, connected to the way that you make a living. But if you want to do work around your house or you want to help somebody out with a project in their house, Go for it. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're just simply unable to figure out right now how you set aside a whole day a week, but maybe you can start carving out a few hours in a day of the week and honoring the Sabbath that way, intentionally taking time for rest. I have a ways to go in my own life on this, but I have found out that even very short periods of time in a day where you just get up from everything that is consuming your time and just take a walk or sit at a picnic table or, or do something. These are refreshing. And those, while not, you know, all that is in view with the Sabbath, those are a way of beginning to incorporate the, the benefits of Sabbath into your life. And so we honor the Sabbath by resting. And I would suggest to you today that, that we do that a couple of ways. We can do that by not doing stuff, or we can do that by doing things that are refreshing and life-giving to us. So for the disciples, when they picked the grain to eat, that was not a violation of the Sabbath because it was a life-giving activity. I believe that we are free to not do things for rest, or we are free to do things provided the things we do are restful and life-giving for us. And so, I have some examples of those things on the stage this morning. But I'm going to need help <laughs> from the audience. So here's the first one, okay? This is probably the one we most would associate with Sabbath rest, so... You have this lovely table. Pretend that this is in your backyard like four or five months from now, not today. Uh, you have your comfortable chair. You have your coffee, beautiful flowers, your Bible, the required Tim Keller book. <laughs> and then a third book that you could really take or leave. It's really just here for props. Um, and then the microphone, that's a very important part of your, your Sabbath. So I need someone to demonstrate uh, resting, reading the word, sipping your coffee, that kind of Sabbath rest. Can I, can I get any volunteers to, to demonstrate that for us? Debbie, now do you promise not to do the stuff you did the last time? No, I'm joking. <laughs> totally a joke. She knows that, I hope. Okay, Debbie. You're the one. Now, I didn't tell you all of this, though. But come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. So, what I want you to do is sit here, pretend you're in your backyard. 
You can, you know, act like you're sipping some delicious coffee, you're reading the Word. And as you're reading the Word, you need to give facial expressions that communicate to us that God is speaking to you in powerful ways. All right? Can you do that? All right. Uh, you'll, you'll have a few minutes here. He's got to speak to you quickly today. All right. So Debbie's going to be demonstrating that type of Sabbath rest. Now, the umbrellas are here. Um, because here's something that I, not that I really do this, but something I, I want to do, although I want to do it without an umbrella, but something I think is a great way to spend uh, some rest time if it happens to be raining is walking in the rain. Does anybody else enjoy walking in the rain? Not very many of you. Okay. Um, so I want help, uh, somebody demonstrating walking in the rain. Patty Werner, would you be happy to help us with that? Why don't you come on up, Patty? Uh, take the umbrella. We just want you to stroll around the building acting like you're walking in the rain. But I haven't told you all of this either. So what we really want is singing in the rain. All right? So you can walk and sing, but without being too much of a distraction. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Why? Why? <laughs> all right. Did you hear the part about without being too much of a distraction? <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. So we've got those two things going on. And then uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Well, we have the, uh, we have the golf clubs. So um, that's what we're going to do next. So golf is one of those things that depending on how you're wired, it might or might not be a good Sabbath activity for you, okay? So we actually have a test to determine if golfing can be a Sabbath activity for you or not, okay? So to do that, I'm going to have to, uh, have to get rid of this stand. I'm going to have to put this down here. Uh, Patty, you've been very helpful, and we're going to let you go now. Uh, give Patty a hand for demonstrating. I think we saw more dancing than singing, but whatever. And um, did Debbie look like she was getting things from the Lord? All right. She says, I actually am. <laughs> That's good. All right. But for this next thing, you are now in a place of danger. So we're going to let you go as well. So the Lord has spoken all he's going to speak except through the message. But, you know, you're, you're done here. And it's for your safety. Isaiah 53, that's what she was receiving from. Thank you. Give Debbie a hand. All right, so we're going to figure out if golf can be a Sabbath activity for you or not. So I need three volunteers. Three volunteers. Anybody? Kevin Tress, come on up. Anybody else? Kevin Smith, it's the Sunday of Kevin's. Kevin Smith, come on up. Any, any uh, ladies want to join us on the golfing circuit? Rachel Lawwell, you're laughing awfully loud. Why don't you come on up? All right. So here's the test of whether or not golf can be a Sabbath activity for you. Now, I will tell you that last night I was practicing this here, and I was aiming that direction because I was convinced that I could launch one of these golf balls over all of your heads and hit the back wall. <laughs> but more times than not, I hit where Amy's sitting. And so, 
I, de I decided we better not do that. They are just little rubber balls, but at the velocity I hit them, they could still be damaging. So, uh, so we didn't do that. All right, so here, here is the test as to whether or not uh, golf can be a Sabbath activity for you. I'm going to have you come up here one at a time. We have very limited space here, so check your backswing. We don't want to hit anything. I destroyed a music stand last night trying to do this. Uh, so, so if you can hit that sound baffling square, then golf could be a Sabbath activity for you. If you can't, then it probably can't be. So, so Kevin, we'll see if you can, can hit that. Better. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so next, whoever wants to go next, come on up. I, I, I have plenty here that I can give them. So, um, here you go. All right, Kevin, show us what you got. Yeah, that's probably not a Sabbath activity for you then. We do like Happy Gilmore. <laughs> oh, too bad. Too bad. <laughs> Rachel. Just a little lesson your parents evidently have never taught you. Cheating doesn't get you anywhere in life. <laughs> All right. So, so far, we have nobody that can golf on the Sabbath. So I'm going to give it my try. Yeah, in the first service, Phil was the only one who was able to hit the target. So uh, I'll give it a try here. Here's how you know that you cannot golf on the Sabbath. When golfing makes you do this. <laughs> you cannot golf on the Sabbath if that's what it does to you. Now I have to bend over and clean those up. All right. All right, we have one more thing to show you. By the way, those were my own golf clubs, but they've been through it before, so they're used to it. <laughs> All right. All right. So here's our last thing. The grand champion of Sabbath tools. So think of what you see up here as your Sabbath toolbox. And the grand champion of Sabbath tools is the hammock. How many of you agree with this? Yes, yes. Because a hammock can also be a dangerous thing if you don't know how to get in and out of it, uh, I arranged beforehand on who I would have in the hammock. So we have asked Mo Molinar to uh, come and 
demonstrate the hammock. So, Mole, there is a metal pipe underneath that hammock. So if you flip out of it, we are not responsible for what happens to you. So I hope that you know what you're doing. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> Look at that. Sun hat. Very important in the hammock. There you go. There you go. He asked if he could stay there throughout the rest of the service, and I said no because I thought he would be a distraction. <laughs> All right. So, who can testify that a hammock is a wonderful thing? Hold on. Yeah. That's your hat to keep. That's our gift to you for your cooperation. Doesn't he look good in that hat? He and Patty now have matching hats. She did that in the first service. Thanks, Mo. Give Mo a hand. All right. So, if there is anybody in here, I know in the first service we had Phil Roush and Kara Godsey, but uh, I do not recommend golf as a Sabbath activity. <laughs> That was only partially embellished there on my part. <laughs> All right, so these are different things that we can do uh, as part of the Sabbath. And here's another one, fellowship and worship. And so all of you in this building are our last prop for how we can spend the Sabbath. And this takes us to the other way that we honor the Sabbath, and that is by worshiping. There's a lot of evidence in the Bible that Sabbath was not just for rest, but it was a time accompanied by focusing on God. Now, some of you will walk this out by combining your day of rest with Sunday worship, as we talked about a few minutes ago. If you don't work on Sunday and you're able to come here and worship in the mornings and then go rest the rest of the day, then that's a great deal for you. But others may come to Sunday service and then they immediately have to go to work. And so they might have to do something else in terms of, of focusing on God on the day they set aside for rest. So, so they'll combine their day of rest with maybe more time and personal devotions. Uh, maybe your Sabbath day observance will look something like resting in the morning and spending time with the Lord in the midday and then getting together with uh, friends for fellowship in the evening. I don't think you dishonor the Sabbath in any way when you combine these types of things together as long as they are things that are refreshing to you, things that are life-giving to you. And there are a couple of other aspects of Sabbath that I just want to mention briefly uh, before we wrap up here today. And here's one that's important for us. Observing the Sabbath is a reminder that God can manage the world without our involvement. We just stop doing things and God keeps the world spinning. And not just the world, but God can take care of us even if we're getting proper rest. We don't have to go 100 miles an hour even to keep our own lives going. Our lives will not collapse 
if we rest. Because God is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of us. And he can keep the world and our lives going even if we rest. And that's one of the great and liberating things about observing the Sabbath is that when we disconnect from our career for a day, we say the emails can just wait. And when we decide that on our day of rest, we're not going to check to see how our investments are doing, if we have any, and if on our day of rest, we're not going to clutter our minds with politics and the news of the day, but instead we just walk away from it all. We rest and we focus on the Lord, and then we come back from that and the world is still spinning, it reminds us that God is in control. Our lives are not dependent, our well-being is not dependent on our feeble efforts. Our well-being is dependent on God's care for us. The Sabbath reminds us that God does not need our work to keep things going. And that's a great realization. And then Exodus 31, 12, and 13 share an interesting thought. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. According to this passage, the Sabbath is a reminder to us that God sanctifies us. Now, what do we know about sanctification? We know that it takes effort on our part. We have to, we have to practice some spiritual disciplines. We have to deny ourselves. We have, to, we have to exercise our will in some ways. We have to do some things. And because it requires all of that, sometimes we're tempted to think that even though we started out with God based on his grace, that our path onward with God is through our own efforts and merit. The Sabbath reminds us that just as we are to work for six days and then rest from our labors, likewise, we are to work towards sanctification in our lives, but we do not sanctify ourselves. Uh, more more uh, than that, we uh, don't justify ourselves, we don't sanctify ourselves, we don't do any of that. God both justifies us and sanctifies us. A lot of times we think God does the justifying, we do the sanctifying, but God does it both. He justifies and he sanctifies. And so the Sabbath rest is to serve as a reminder that even when it comes to sanctification, God is at work. It's not all on us. We can rest in him knowing our relationship with him and our growth in spiritual maturity does not require constant striving on our part. God is still sanctifying us even when we're at rest. In fact, rest is more valuable to our sanctification than I think many of us acknowledge. So these are the aspects of Sabbath that I think are of most central concern and that we should work to incorporate into our lives, not in a legalistic way, but in a way that honors the spirit of the Sabbath, in a way that honors God's intention in giving us this command that is a gift. And so I want to encourage us, all of us here today, to commit to resting more this year. If you want to improve your life in 2017, it is very likely that you need to rest more. You need to rest more. We need to be intentional about it. 
to carve out times for rest. We need to make at least some of that time where we're resting focused on the Lord. And we need to be mindful when we do this that, that part of what it's supposed to do in us is, is help us stay connected to the fact that God can run the world and our lives without our constant effort and that God is even sanctifying us when we're at rest. And so I have a few commitments that I want to ask you to consider making today. And uh, you know if, if these are things that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about right now. And I just want to uh, encourage you to please be open to responding to how the Spirit might be uh, moving on you now. If you aren't already, I'm asking you to commit to begin honoring the Sabbath in whatever way you can right now. Make some step toward beginning to keep the Sabbath set apart. Not in a legalistic way, but in a way that recognize it, recognizes it as God's gift to you. Commit to finding ways to regularly incorporating rest into your life. Even if right now you say, I don't see any way that I can set aside a whole day for rest. If you cannot do that, then start with what you can do. If that means you have to start by just carving out 15 minutes a day uh, of time to set aside and just be quiet, pray, meditate, uh, walk, you know, wh whatever it is, do that. Do that. Commit to honoring the four aspects of the Sabbath that we've discussed today. And, and here's what I'm saying. If you can't get to a day of rest yet, start to take some steps in that direction and then set a goal that you are going to work toward being able to actually set aside a day a week for rest. And here's what I would like to encourage you. Uh, I think that many of us, not all of us, because some of us might have a little bit more uh, work to do to get there, but I think many of us, if we set a goal, by Easter, I'm going to be setting aside a day a week for rest. I think we we can get there, but find some goal that you think you can, can do and begin taking steps in that direction and begin setting aside a time for rest, whatever that means for you. Not doing things on that day, doing things that are refreshing and life-giving, as well as focusing some time on the Lord and remembering that he is in charge. God has got our lives and the whole world under control, even when we're asleep in the hammock. Now, here's the reality. Some of you might have to make some difficult decisions in order to begin to honor the Sabbath and get the rest that you need. And I'm asking you to not uh, underestimate the importance of rest in your life and give serious consideration to making decisions to honor the Sabbath, even if it is difficult for you. Here are a few ideas that some of you might be able to apply to your own life. You might need to limit your kids to one sport at a time. That's what we have done throughout our kids' childhood. And honestly, we, we only have two kids. And when they're in one sport at a time, we have all we can handle. If you have more kids than that and you're letting your kids be in multiple sports at the same time, I honestly don't know how you do it. And here's the thing. We have had a number of uh, students in our church who have gone on to play college ball. Uh, we, we have uh, one in professional ball. We 
We, uh, um, you know, have some that probably have the opportunity in the future to move from college to professional. So we see in our own church that there, there are kids among us that do have abilities that it makes some sense to, to, to invest in their uh, sporting life. But can I just speak honestly to most of us? Most of the Sallies and Johnnies around are not going to be professional ballplayers. Okay, so their lives aren't going to fall apart if they just focus on one sport at a time. You're not undermining their earning capacity because they ain't earning any money playing ball anyway. Amen. Wow, I sense that all of you think your kids are on the way to professional sports. <laughs> we, we need a reality check. They are not. So they'll survive with one sport at a time. And you might need to do that for your sanity uh, you might do that so you can have some rest. You might need to do that so they can have some rest. I could talk about that one a long time, so I'm going to move along, move along. You might have to have an honest talk with your boss. I understand what I'm about to say. This is a scary thing to do. But you might have to have an honest talk with your boss and say, I simply cannot be away from home every night of the week. I just can't do it. You know, I'm willing to figure out some other solutions. You know, I'm willing for it to take some time for us to get there, but there's got to be an end to this. I've got to have some margin in my life. You might have to sacrifice your love of Fox News or MSNBC and all the wildly entertaining political fighting that you love to watch. You say, well, Brian, I'm just laying on my couch. That's rest. That is not rest. That that is... (laughs) Life-sucking nonsense is what that is. (laughs) My goodness. Now, there's nobody that likes politics and fighting about politics more than I do. (laughs) I love it. But even I have, to a large extent, just cut that stuff off. I I mean, I I would... I hate to admit this, but I would often uh, spend quite a bit of time watching political talk shows. And I just get torn up inside. And it was just a waste of time. And so now I, if I'm going to watch TV, I watch more relaxing things. Like Chopped. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. <laughs> Best show on TV. If I don't watch Chopped, I watch Cooks and Cons. <laughs> and if I don't watch Cooks and Cons, I watch Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I watched one the other day of three wonderful places in Cincinnati, so Michelle and I are now planning a road trip. (laughs) Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And because that's what I watch, I need different tools than these up here in the new year. Some weight machines and treadmills is what I need. (laughs) But you might have to uh, disconnect from some of those negative influences because those things just contribute to turmoil and a lack of rest, a lack of peace of mind. You might have to let a few projects around the house get completed on a slower schedule than what you prefer. And some of you might need to make really big decisions, really big decisions. Listen, some of you might need to sell your house and move into a smaller home. Or maybe sell your house and rent 
instead of owning a home. Even if, you, even if your dad told you your whole life that renting was a waste of money, you might need to do it. Because here's the deal. If every broken toilet is a financial crisis in your house, home ownership might not be worth it. You might be better off renting so you can have some margin in your life. Is it better to live in a two-bedroom apartment with time for rest and fellowship and communion with the Lord or to live on the nicest house on the street and work 90 hours a week to maintain it and spend the rest of the time, meaning maintain it financially, and spend the rest of the time maintaining it physically? What's better for the things that really matter? So some of you might need to do that. Some of you might need to start looking for a new job or a new way to, to earn money. So here's the good thing, a good thing. Many of us can begin honoring the Sabbath without taking those kind of dramatic steps. And so you might be tempted to say, well, Brian, why don't you give us all these dramatic examples? Why don't you give us more realistic examples of what we can do to honor the Sabbath? Yeah, yeah. Did you write the I did not. Should, should I have? <laughs> uh, but here's why I use those dramatic examples, and that's because being able to rest more is an important thing for your physical, emotional, relational, mental, and spiritual health. In fact, it is such an important thing that it is worth taking drastic action if you need to to be able to have more margin in your life so that you can get the rest you need so that you can have Sabbath in your life. The Sabbath is a gift from God for us. He knows how life works. He knows how we are made, and so let's accept God's gift of the Sabbath and put it into practice in our lives for our good and for the good of those around us. Why don't you stand?